Welcome to How to Fail at College. I'm Carl Beckham. And I am Paul Crowley. This is a podcast about how to succeed at college or fail miserably trying. So, Carl, speaking of fail miserably, I have a question for you. How do you forward a phone call from your office phone? Shut up. Um, so <laughs> you preferably call IT and request, beg them to explain it to you. Do you want me to tell the story? So if you really want to fail, like if you want to just go and do it the worst possible way, what, what do you think would be good? Ask you for advice. Um, <laughs> to be fair, I'm the one who told you that. <laughs> so um, what Paul is referring to is a very terrible, terrible, horrible, no good thing I did on Monday as I was trying to leave. Um, I knew Paul had forwarded phone, his phone calls from his office to his cell phone. Was that last semester, I believe? So I asked for advice. I was expecting a phone call and had to run to check on Junior. So Paul came to my office and said, well, push the button. I like, okay, now press 9 to dial out. Okay, now press 1 and then dial the area code. So I did. But my finger slipped after the first one, so I forwarded all of my calls to 911. It gets better. Which was the first bad mistake. Uh, as I realized my error, I frantically pressed every button on my phone trying to back out. I called security, who then called me back at my office, but my office was redirected to 911. So as I was trying to answer the phone from security, which was informed of 911, I canceled out the 911. So that when they called back, I accidentally called them again. So in short summation, I forwarded all my calls to 911 and then called security twice. I think the real moral of the story is you shouldn't ask for my advice anymore. <laughs> not push buttons randomly. <laughs> Maybe I'll learn. We are at the, the end of the summer semester, and we have the fall <sighs> semester coming up. And that means something for us as teachers as we finish our courses and the exams over summer, and then we prepare for the new semester. Um, but it's also a, a significant time for students as well, because a lot they have to do in order to get ready. So that's kind of what we want to talk about today. The start of a new semester, what that actually entails, things to be aware of, and whatnot. And it's a little bit more than just making sure you have the right shoes, getting your number two pencils and that required calculator for whatever statistics and probability class. Godspeed. I wish you all the best. You are taking that semester. It's just preparing not just your backpack, but your brain. Well, let me ask you this, uh, Carl. As you, when you were in school, or Let's actually let's learn from our experiences. If you had to go back and put yourself in the shoes of one of our students preparing for the fall semester, when would you actually start that process? When would I? Yes. When I was there? Yes. A couple days before. Now, going back. <laughs> uh, I, one of the things I did learn, planning. Just the earlier you get in, the quicker you can get into those classes that you prefer. Uh, find those professors you like, find those professors you identify with, and make sure you sneak into their class, whether you have to get that override or not. Um, one of the big ones, getting in early, because those classes fill up so quickly. They do, and it was frustrating, because uh, we both went to Coastal, mm -hmm. and 
as a freshman, sophomore, junior, you know, as you progress through, your priority in registering gets bumped up. Mm -hmm. So if you're a senior, you get first abs, uh, first uh, try at it. So you have like a full 24 hours before the juniors get it, and they have a full 24 hours before the sophomore, so on and so forth, somewhere along those time frames. So if you're a sophomore, you're kind of screwed. You know, you have your classes, but you have to get lucky in some in some cases. Yeah, what what I really liked about that though was as your window of opportunity closes, 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 there was that little bit of preference, which helped out immeasurably. I snuck into a couple classes that I had successfully avoided until my senior year, which I probably would have done better had I taken a junior or sophomore years, but it was just that preferential treatment that got me in. So with our open enrollment and with the way we don't really give preference to seniority, it's got to start early, got to start early. And I hate to say it, the smartest strategy I've heard is waiting for the purge. Oh, okay, I haven't heard this. So the purge, for, for listeners who aren't aware, it's when uh, financial aid will go through and kind of say, do you have you know, your money or finances in order. If not, you're taken out of the class. But there's another one, too, with, um, oh, if you meet the requirements. So if you sign up for a class, you need to take Psych 203, and maybe a prereq is Psych 201. You didn't take that. They're going to kick you out. Yeah. Um, the big one, though, typically is the financial aid, and that's always, always an issue, especially for us as professors. You'll have a full class, and then the next day, five, six, seven, eight students might have been dropped, random others have added. Uh, it's kind of a scramble, and the folks who had it and who were doing everything correct want to get back in. Waiting for that purge, it, I hate it. It's kind of like that last minute vote or last minute bid on eBay. You're approaching it, but sometimes it's for the best. Seems like a risk, though, as well. It is. It's a gamble. Um, realistically, get in touch, get in touch, get in touch. Most professors are quick to give an override, especially if you come see them, talk to them. So definitely consider that before you, before you hope for the purge. I know one of the things that, that I did um, was I was very aware of all the classes I needed to take in order to graduate on time. And so I would look each semester about which ones I could take when, as far as the prereqs, what were required, that I took one course before this one. And I planned out, okay, these are the courses that I'm going to hope for. And I created my plan A, and I had my plan B, according to maybe one of the classes I wanted I couldn't get into. But all that had to be done through my advisor, because they had to sign off on it. It was a little bit of hassle that our students here at Tech don't have to worry about, per se. They have advisors to help them. Their advisors don't unlock their access mm -hmm. in order to be able to do it. But I had to look at not just what classes I wanted to take, but also with what teachers and at what time. I was, uh, I was working full time, and so I was like, I still want to get my 40, 45 hours in at work, but I need to go to school, which is the most important thing, so how can I do both? at the same time. So sometimes that meant a lot of 8 o'clock classes. Sometimes that meant a God help you. Thursday night class. You know, But I tried to, to make it work. The one tool that existed back then that we actually still have today, though, is RateMyProfessor.com. So this was actually a lifesaver for me. I avoided some classes that yeah, it was just hellish to go through. <laughs> and people, no one had a good experience in it. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to take this other guy over here who has great reviews. And it actually turned out really, really well. 
So, I mean, Carl, is that something that you did or you know your students do? I mean, how much of that is actually a consideration nowadays? Oh, before I even address rate my professor, I want to just, in case you do not know, Paul is meticulously groomed. He's very kempt. He's orderly, organized. At times. I probably have a stain on my shirt, have a very unkempt beard, and need a haircut, <laughs> something desperately. <laughs> our strategies for getting our classes are... Vastly different. <laughs> and I think our listeners at some point fall somewhere within the spectrum. Um, but yes, uh, Paul, the Rate My Professor, I'm kind of fascinated by it because it is one of those one side of the story, two sides of the story, and the truth. I like it. I think it's wonderful. I think having that information out there that is just personal experience, it's, it's the Yelp of English prof of professors in general. Uh, but it is personal experience. And your timing, your strategy, the way you engage with people is different given expectations. So it's kind of not really a one-size-fits-all type issue. Yeah, the, I, th I think you'll probably see like a skew as well. If you take our, or if you teach a harder course like maybe mathematics, one of those classes that tend to be a little more difficult, so students are going to struggle with, right. that's going to be reflected in the ratings that particular teacher would have. And so it, there, it does come with that little caveat, you know, <laughs> you have to consider this taking into consideration all these different things as far as what may be good, what may be bad. But the alternative is, is what? I don't really care for the alternative. I'm, according to Rate My Professor, hot. Oh, I am nice. a full chili pepper. <laughs> so, <Nice>. again, <laughs> again, that's a little caveat for you. <laughs> Do not always trust it. <laughs> I, I'm just thinking, like, if they have right now a professor that's independent of the school, so mm -hmm. you can't control that, the professor can't control that. My thing is, like, how else are you going to find out about the different professors? You can ask other students, but that's kind of what you're doing with right now professor. You can't really ask other teachers because we have a kind of an unwritten rule type of thing. Like, we don't badmouth each other. Absolutely. I, well, there is also, you're going to get some truth from each of your professors regardless. Like, how do you feel about so-and-so? Well, I will be completely honest with certain students that there is a difference in the way we all approach the same subject matter. One of the big issues with the English department is how we structure our semesters. Mine is vastly different from, say, Professor Blumberg's, for, uh, from Professor Williams. Granted, it's same material. It's a wholly different experience. It's different train tracks, and that is a terrible metaphor. I apologize. Well, I mean, sometimes if you don't have any type of information to go off of, it is kind of hit or miss. Oh, absolutely. You could run into a teacher that absolutely knocked it out of the park. You love them. You like their approach, the way they teach. And so if they offer other classes, you go for it. Mm -hmm. And then you have your teachers, like I had for my research methods class at Coastal, hated her. <laughs> the worst. And what was really bad is that she was my advisor. <laughs> and so one time I'm meeting with her. Paul, you can change advisors. But then I don't want to make her feel bad. <laughs> but the problem I had was I'm going over my schedule. She's like, oh, so you need to take uh, theories of personality. Did you know I'm teaching that? That's something to consider. I think you would really enjoy it. And I already knew in the back of my mind, I'm not taking it with you. I'm taking it with this other guy. He's an unknown <laughs> entity, but I'll risk and gamble it because I know how you are. And I didn't really dig it. It wasn't me. I, my personal experience is a huge thing. Um, actually, flashing back to 
rate my professor. I had a professor also at Coastal who, if she had a rate my professor, would have just been drugged through the muck. She was brutal. She was very, a very hard grader, but incredibly fair and an incredibly brilliant teacher. But no garbage, no BS, no fooling around. She was very serious. Best professor I ever had, and I'm slack. I learned more from that than I did. That's interesting, isn't it? Like, I think if you look back at the teachers that stand up to you the most, it's the ones that were either really, really great or, like, really, really hard. The ones in the middle just kind of fade away. Because I remember some of the hardest classes I took are teachers that I, I, I took so much away from the course. Mm-hmm. Um, at the, the final capstone course as far as the site program at Coastal, it's very intense, but I'm so grateful for that experience because I know so much more about the field and especially the mechanics of the writing and the presentation and things like that. There was a teacher I was speaking to with here at Coastal, uh, here at Tech, and he mentioned a professor he had in undergrad. And the first day of class, they said, he, he told, he was talking to everybody, to the students, like, this is a hard class, just so you know, God took my class and got a B. <laughs> and well, that's definitely one way to start the class off. <laughs> it intimidated everybody. It was definitely the hardest class that they took, but it was also one they benefited from the most. Uh, sometimes you learn more from the struggle than you actually do anything else in a class. Yeah, uh, that's that's a wonderful thing. But are there any things that you find? Are beneficial for students to do as they start new semesters? Uh, absolutely. One of the <clears throat> one of the biggest things I could say that would help both students and professors introductions. Now I know there are some professors here at Tech and heaven knows I did it many times in undergrad where that first day of class is introductions where that's either people throwing a ball around the room, introducing themselves, talking about what they like, what their majors are. I typically don't do that just because I don't like putting people on the spot. Me either. So with my classes, up until the first month has gone by, most of my students are just names on my role or on my grade list. So actually having conversations, people coming up and introducing themselves, telling me who they are, telling me what they're hoping to get out of the class. It's huge. It makes that personal connection. It makes it personal and it gives, puts a face to a name, gives an identity. That was one of my biggest issues when I went to USC was not being a person, just being a number, just another body flowing around. No one knew who I was. By the time I was here at Tech, when I transferred to Coastal, I was on a, well, mostly first name basis with everyone in my department each time. So it's kind of refreshing. It really helps out. Yeah. yeah, I remember one class I had where I didn't think the teacher knew who I was. And then they're handing back tests or whatnot, and I had to say my name, and he's like, I know who you are. I was kind of taken aback, and I was like, oh. I was like, how? I didn't say anything. I was like, how? But from that moment on, I was like, okay, they do care a little bit. They have remembered my name somehow. And then I found where you do, if you have that kind of connection, if you can remember something about the student, not just their name, follow them, hey, how's, how's so-and-so going? Or how's this turn out for you? They're more involved and engaged mm -hmm. in the course. And so they're actually going to get more out of that experience. Absolutely. I 
have a student who just took his final today, and I will miss this dude something terribly. But we've talked in my office pretty much once a week all summer, just going over basic elements from the class. He talking about his jobs, what he's done, where this went wrong, how this changed. He just got hired at H and M, and I'm so soaked. Nice. Um, great dude. And that's just based on the simple fact that he was an anonymous student who went out of his way to talk, to engage, to be a part of the class. So that's one of those things. It's, it's that personal touch, that personal interaction goes a long, long way. Yeah. Um, I think one thing that I would add for people just to consider, and this is more from like, a, I guess you could say psychological point of view, and that a new semester is almost like a new beginning. And so I was listening to a podcast uh, quite a while ago, and they were talking about uh, gym memberships and how obviously you see the spike at the very beginning of the year because it's a new year. Mm -hmm. And so talking about motivation, how to motivate yourself, and what they found is that even though it was a smaller bump, you did see little bumps in memberships at the start of each month throughout the year. Okay, so what they found is that anytime you start something new, either a new week, new month, new semester in this case, or when it's your birthday, any kind of significant event where you have a chance to kind of start fresh, that if we have that mentality, we can kind of not necessarily forget what happened in the past, but maybe you didn't have such a great spring or summer semester. Okay, that doesn't necessarily mean the fall is going to be the same way. If you look at it as a fresh start, you can be much more motivated and hopefully have the opportunity to, to rebound and perform better. That is absolutely wonderful. That's actually a great way of looking. I really thought you were going to go with the zombie gym memberships that you get at Christmas and you put on a credit card. Is that what they call it? Yeah, it, yeah because you stop going, but it keeps going. And it keeps nice. re-upping your membership every month. So you're out 50 bucks and 50 bucks and 50 bucks. Zombie gym membership. Well, just one little quick side of <laughs> tangent here. I was into another podcast about gym memberships and how gyms, their whole business model is for that to happen. They want to get you in the door, sign up for the membership, and then never come back. Absolutely. No wear and tear on the machine, no bothering of this private tra- or the personal trainers. But they still get your money. Well, before we go off into too much of deep water and off on side tangents, which there are... Apologies for the gym (laughs) discussion. Uh, Let's kind of talk about our our recommended reading. So this is a segment of the show where we have something that has been on our mind lately or something we've seen online, something we're enjoying, and we want to share it with you as well. So, Carl, you had something that, that you wanted to share for your recommended reading? I, just like everybody else in the nerd community, have been enamored with Stranger Things on Netflix. I've heard nothing but good things. It's an absolute joy. My wife, who's not a Winona Ryder fan, loved it. Uh, It's wonderfully terrifying. And it's just the perfect amalgamation of 80s Kids, kids, movies, Goonies, E.T., uh, Stephen King, weirdness, strangeness, just all around wonderful. Uh, TV, movie? Netflix. So it, is it like a TV series? Uh, it's super short. TV? It's eight, I think it's eight parts. Okay, so like a short TV season or a miniseries? Yeah, uh, we've talked about the British broadcasting channel strategy of extended 
miniseries, and that's kind of what this is. Right. Um, and the fandom around it has been really hilarious to watch. Secondary characters getting bolstered real really quickly. So. Uh, I think for my recommended reading, it's an article uh, I came across not too long ago. And I found it through a podcast. And what they were talking about... Oh, that's the fourth time you've mentioned podcasts today. I do listen to it quite a bit. <laughs> so I've actually... Another side change real quick. I've actually researched <laughs> podcasts for kids so that when my kids are in the car with me, I can play it for them. Oh, it's wonderful. So I'm my podcast fix, and hopefully I can inspire them to also do the same. Um, but what I found was this guy, he watches TV shows at 1.6 times speed. So this is what I do for podcasts, so I can get them quicker. Mm -hmm. So I listen to them at 1.6 speed around that, so it goes a little bit faster, and I can listen to them more. I can listen to more podcasts in a smaller amount of time. I just thought you were a fan of Alvin and the Chipmunks. No. Uh, this guy, though, he does it through a plug-in that he installed in his browser, and he watches them on the computer, so he can get, I think he said... Four episodes of Kimmy Smith done in an hour. <laughs> he can breeze through an entire season of Game of Thrones in just a half a day or so. Like, he showed examples of what it's like at normal speed and what it's like at super speed or the 1.6 times speed. And so you watch the speed one first and then you watch the normal one. It's like, why are they talking so slow? Like, spit it out. And you, I can see how you would get used to it. And so I haven't tried it yet. But I am intrigued by it since it's something I've already started doing with podcasts. So listening or watching your TV shows at 1.6 speed so you can binge watch even more. That is the most terrifying concept I've heard in a while. Don't knock it to you, try I'm, I'm, I'm knocking it. <laughs> <laughs> guys that brings us to our end um, so for this week thank you so much for hanging out with us we appreciate any and all feedback listener questions hit us up tell us what we forgot to talk about tell us our voices are annoying let us know what's going on um, We'll have a Facebook page up soon for everyone to connect with us that way as well. Uh, as it goes, Paul can be reached on tw Twitter at PB Crawley. And Crawl is at. <laughs> Sorry, it seems like we have audio failure there with Paul's mic. Take care, everybody. We'll see you next time. <laughs>